am um, honored today to have uh, a mentor to me and my ministry. So I would say in the last few years, if uh, if you wonder where my inspiration comes from, I would say this gentleman and his family right here. If you like that, let me know. If you don't, let him know that. How's that? Is that good? <laughs> this is Reverend Dr. Clifton Howard. He is from the... Uh, Central Texas Conference. He works in the conference office as assistant to the bishop and chief of staff, correct? And um, that's a big title. (laughs) This week, though, Pastor Clifton, as many conversations, he and I used to have offices right next door to each other, and we would get into some of the craziest and deep conversations about this very subject, not knowing that one day we would be sitting here having a discussion like this. And as I watch the news, this week, Pastor, I got a new journal that I write all my notes in, and I sat down to think about this week, and the only thing I could write was, what do we do next? I don't know what to do. So I called you, which is always what I do. What does God call us to be during a time like this? And all I could think is the verse in Ephesians that says, Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barriers of hatred that divides us. So I'm going to start with the hard question because of the week that we've had. When do you, Pastor, what do you feel and what do you think with what has happened in the news recently and when you hear the name George Floyd? Uh, well, let, let me first say, Didi, how, uh, how privileged I feel to have been invited to be with you today and uh, express my thanks both to you and to uh, Dr. Copeland for, uh, it's, no, it's for me no small thing to be invited to be with you. So uh, I, I do really do appreciate that. Now, what was the question? <laughs> Tell him again. Some things never change. No, I'm afraid not. What do you do? What do you think when you read the news and you hear the name George Floyd? Like, what, is, what does that make you feel? What does it make you think? Well, well this... You know, the past two weeks have been very, very challenging for all of us. And I think when I first heard about uh, what happened to George Floyd, uh, I, I felt, I felt uh, deep frustration. Uh, and I felt some anger. And I felt, I felt powerless. Uh, it was uh, almost as if my mind was saying, well, here we go again. Uh, I, I would love not to have felt that, but that's, that's where I was. Well, it's, it's interesting for me because I got to the point this week, Jeff and I both did, where I was, I was just reading comments on Facebook, which is sometimes just not the right thing to do. And what I felt is a lot of white people telling other white people what they should feel, what they should do. And I have no idea 
I'm this privileged white woman in a world that was raised that way, but yet I was raised in a home where my, my mother's best friend was African-American, and she was like my aunt, and so close to me. So I, I didn't know that tension, and at Gertie kept that from us most of my life. But when I saw what happened, all I could picture is I cannot imagine And I felt like I was that person sitting at a hospital bed next to a person that's been told you have two days to live. And I felt helpless and I did not know what to do. I did not know what to do, but I knew that I didn't have the answer because I don't have to live into it. So why do you think this time and what happened to George Floyd and during this time, why do you think it's different this time? Or do you think it's different? Well, I... I certainly hope it will be different. Um, you know, like I said earlier, uh, African Americans, this is um, this is no new story for them. It's like the same song, verse 215, that we've seen this happen, and uh, it it gets really, really frustrating, and <clears throat> you can't help but wonder if if it's ever going to get better. However, I've been uh, I've been really impressed with the, the demonstrations and the protests to see the diversity of people who are participating in the protests, especially the young people, uh, who who seem to have really uh, captured the sense of outrage that uh, that African Americans have felt for for many many years about this. I see that as a really really hopeful sign. Uh, with this issue of racism, it is. Uh, the kind of issue that uh, it's going to take all of us to get rid of it. Uh, it's not, African Americans can't get rid of the racism that's in our culture on their own. Uh, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take white Americans to help do that. So seeing the protests and the, the many, many diverse people who are participating in, in it uh, has, has, I think, been a really, really hopeful sign. And, and they're also young. Why do you think we haven't resolved this issue before now? Uh, why, why we haven't resolved it before now? Let's see, how much time do we have? Well, there are a lot of reasons, I think. Uh, but in my mind, the biggest reason that this hasn't been resolved is because uh, racism is a systemic problem. It is ingrained into every aspect of our culture. And, it's systematized into every institution in our culture. It's in, the, uh, it's in the criminal justice system. It's in the political system. It's in the economic system. It's in the education system. It's in the church system. Uh, everywhere you look in our culture here in the United States, it is infected by racism. That's why it, it doesn't seem to want to go away, because it's so deeply, deeply embedded. Uh, when you see what what happened with, um, with George Floyd or Tatiana Jefferson or um, uh, the young man here in Dallas who was, who was killed in his own home, those things, in my mind, are a manifestation of the racism that is in our system. It is very, very deep. The other thing I'd say about that is that from, from the beginning, it's very deeply ingrained in the system. And it is there intentionally. It did not happen by accident. Uh, it was intentionally, the system was intentionally created 
to produce the kinds of things that we see it produce in, in racism. So that's why I think it's going to be so very, very difficult to get rid of. Not impossible, but, but very, very challenging. It's going to take all of us working together to, to get rid of it. So where do, you, where do you think God is in the midst of this? Where is God in this? Well, that's, you know, African-Americans, I think, ask that question when this happens over and over again. Where is God? Why doesn't God do something? Um, doesn't, doesn't God um, protect the innocent? Doesn't God um, work on the behalf of the oppressed? Uh, that's a question that a lot of people are asking. Uh, for me, I, I, um, I cannot believe that God is unconcerned when people are oppressed or when um, people are hurting. I cannot believe that God is unconcerned. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure I know exactly where God is, uh, perhaps trying to be in you and me, uh, but I think God certainly is concerned about what's going on with this issue and not, uh, not willing to be uninvolved, not wanting to be uninvolved. I know you're getting ready to ask me another question, but let me say this. Uh, I talked about racism as, as a system, as systemically uh, ingrained into our culture. Um, of course, our, our systems are staffed by human beings. Uh, in every one of our systems, you have human beings. You have people running those systems. And finally, I think, what has to change are people's hearts. Uh, people's hearts have to be changed so, so that they want to get rid of the folks who are running those systems. They want racism and all the other uh, evils that we experience in our culture. They want them to go away. Now, if I had the power, you, you know me, I've probably said this to you before. If I had the power to change someone's heart, everybody's heart would be changed. Uh, but e even if they didn't want it, I would change their heart anyway if I had the power to do that. But, but I don't have that power. Only God can change somebody's heart. And um, hopefully what we're seeing now with the demonstrations and the uh, protests and the outrage that people are expressing, hopefully that's an indication that, that we are beginning to open our hearts to become willing to be changed at every level of our society. What I, what I love is, you and I talked about this a little bit this week. What I have appreciated during this time is watching the young people. Um, when uh, Leah, my BK up here with me, and my own kid, my son, he has no concept of this. Like, their age give me hope. Yeah. They give me a lot of hope because they're looking at us like, what is wrong with you? we don't live in this. Like, like our friends are all different from us. Not one of our friends is like us. And so they don't understand it. So you and I were talking about that the other day. Would you share a little bit about what you, what you spoke into that when we were having that conversation? Oh, I'm supposed to remember this, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess every, in every generation, younger people are uh, more open to new things and different things. And um, 
in their youth, they're less ingrained in the system, they're less invested in the system, uh, so that they are, are willing to question and, and ask why things shouldn't be different. And I, I'm thankful that so many of our young people are in that place today where they're willing to say, you know, this, there's something not right about this. We, this shouldn't be happening. Thankfully, our young people, so many of them, are, are saying that. And hopefully, um, by the time they get to be uh, my age, well, that's way up there. Uh, but as they get older, hopefully the system won't overwhelm them, and then they become uh, as much a part of the system that they have been working against in their youth. I, I love when you refer to that a lot. When you and I have had that conversation several times, you always go back to the word power. Can you speak into that a little bit? Because that that is what I always think about. Ever since the day you told me that, and I'm watching the news or I'm I'm, I'm reading um, I think about that conversation because you've had that with me multiple times. Can you speak into that just a little bit? Yes. Um, it's, it's undeniable that, that um, when you talk about racism, you're really talking about power. And um, so I, the, way I, the way I define racism is in this way, which just with... I think three three words in my mind. Racism is uh, prejudice plus power. So we all have prejudices. We all have biases. Um, but not all of us have the power to enforce our prejudice. Um, racism is the result of prejudice that is being forced on, on the system. And until that power is shared or changed, the system will continue to enforce its prejudice. So uh, African Americans have prejudice. As, as, that's not news to us. Uh, however, as a group, African Americans don't have the power to enforce their prejudice on the, the wider culture. Does that make sense? Is that what you're talking about? And that's, a, that's what makes racism so systemic is because f since, what, since almost this country began, uh, the prejudice of, of white Americans is as the dominant culture is the one that's really put onto all the rest of us. And that's in every aspect of our culture, every system. So. Uh, people of color have to adjust to white culture because white culture has the power to, as I would say, uh, enforce or imprint its prejudice on all the rest of us. Prejudice in and of itself is not a bad thing. We all have it. We all have them. Uh, uh, but we don't all have the ability to make uh, everyone else live according to our prejudices. That's what racism is in my mind. And if you so, take away that power to enforce the prejudice, then racism goes away. So you said power. Oh, wait, no, no, you didn't. You said prejudice plus, plus power. power. That's awesome. That, that, I, I always go back to that when I'm, when I'm sitting there and questions are being asked. So how does, what's expected of someone like me, boss? What's expected? What, what? 
What does that look like? I'm white. I don't know what to do sometimes. I know that people that I love with all of my heart hurt. And I don't know what to do about it. That that's the million dollar question it really is um, what do you do about it I, I think most of us um, all of us Americans whether we're African Americans or white Americans or, or any other uh, ethnic group we all most of us understand that racism is wrong we understand that it needs to go away um, and so the question for all of us is okay how how do we make it go away how do how do we make it better? How do, what, do we, what can I do to help make it go away? There are some things. I, I, let, me, let me share a couple of things with you in a minute. But, uh, but I think that as, as a person who follows Christ, uh, now I'm, I'm certainly not the most faithful Christian in all the universe, but I try really hard to follow Christ. And as a person who follow, follows Christ, as a disciple of Christ, I think um, we, we have to really question our discipleship if we can't see that something like racism is wrong and something we should be working against. Uh, I think Jesus worked against this sort of thing when he was here. I remember the story uh, uh, that Luke tells. Do we have time for this? Uh, Luke tells the story of a woman in, uh, I think it's chapter 13 of, of Luke, uh, tells the story of a woman who has, uh, she's, she's crippled. Somehow her back won't straighten up. And uh, in the synagogue one day, Jesus is uh, in the synagogue, and this woman uh, appears in the synagogue, and Jesus sees her. And when he sees her, he immediately calls her to himself, and he heals her causes he touches her her back straightens up and she is she is now whole uh, in a way that she hasn't been for 18 years the, the, as the story goes well the the ruler of the synagogue you know i guess it would be like the, the maybe we would call him the pastor today i don't know but the ruler of the synagogue was there and he saw jesus do that and he felt uh, compelled to stand up and tell the rest of the congregation uh, look folks you have six days in the week when you should come to the synagogue to seek healing. You shouldn't do that on the Sabbath. Of course, Jesus healed this woman on the Sabbath. But the ruler of the synagogue, and understand, he represents this system that keeps him in power and keeps the woman oppressed. Uh, he says to them, don't come to the synagogue on the Sabbath looking for healing. Well, Jesus' response to that was, you know, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. Don't each of you on the Sabbath take your ox or your donkey, untie them, take them down to get water. Don't you do that on the Sabbath? And this woman who is a daughter of Abraham, are you telling me she shouldn't be healed on the Sabbath? I think that day Jesus was pretty mad. If he'd had something in his hand, he might have thrown it at the ruler of the synagogue, but, but he didn't. In that statement, Jesus was saying, this woman is oppressed, she is bound, she is crippled, and you're telling me that we should pay more attention to uh, the traditions and rules and regulations that you have set up 
rather than heal this woman. No, no. She needs to be set free. And Jesus set her free. I think Jesus is concerned to set people free from any system that oppresses them or binds them or cripples them. Racism is that kind of system. And I think Jesus is against it. I think he was against it then. I think he's against it now. And myself as a Christian, if I don't grasp that, then I think maybe I need to examine my own faith in Christ because I think Christ clearly sees that racism as wrong and uh, wants all those who follow him to see it in that same way. One of the statements you always use that I've used several times in Crosswalk is God will always be about the people more than he will be about the rules. Yeah. God will always be more about the people than he is yeah. about the rules. Yeah. And that has really stuck with me. And, and what's interesting, I think, about that story is those are still the same people, those church people that ended up crucifying Jesus. Yep. So why are we surprised that the system would oppress the woman? And yep. so we have to move past that. We have to figure out how we inch past that, I feel. Yeah. Well, there are, there are some things I think we can do. Uh, of course, racism is such a huge problem that I don't think any one of us or any two of us can get rid of it on our own. We, we all have to work together, I think, to do it. African-Americans, white Americans, Hispanic Americans, we all have to work together if we're going to get rid of racism. And the church can, cannot take a back seat in this, in this, uh, in this battle, the, in this struggle. The church has to engage this just as it did in the 60s, uh, in the civil rights movement. But, but there, are, there are some specific things that maybe you and I can do as people who follow Christ. I think the first thing we can do is Stop believing, um, stop believing that because we don't know what to do, that we can't do anything. Somehow we have to get that out of our head. I don't know what to do. That doesn't excuse me from trying to do something. So I think that's the first thing we can do. A second thing we can do is, uh, is become more aware and understanding of racism, understand more clearly what it is and how it works. Uh, there are lots of resources, lots of books, uh, lots of uh, place, websites that, that we can go to to learn about racism. There are um, assessments that we can take that help us sort of gauge our own sense of intercultural uh, acceptance. We, sh we should learn everything we can about it and understand it as well as we can if we're going to address it. Uh, we, sh we should do that. Uh, Another thing, a third thing we can do is speak out against it. Um, sometimes it's hard to see, but sometimes it's very, very apparent, very clear that what you're seeing is, is, is racist behavior. And we, we got to speak out against that. We got to speak out against it everywhere we see it, wh whenever we see it, whether it's among our family members or uh, among our colleagues in the workplace or whether it's we see it in, in our churches, wherever we see it, we gotta speak out against it, call it out for what it is. A fourth thing I would recommend we do uh, is, is teach our kids. 
I know you've, you've taught uh, Owen about this. You've taught Owen that racism is not good, it's not right. I think we have to do that. Uh, judging from the number of young people that are involved in the protesting, it's clear that many of us are teaching our children the history of racism and teaching them that it's wrong. We've got to continue to do that. And we've got to continue to do that as they continue to grow because I think the danger for them is as they grow older, the system wants to pull them in. And if they, don't, if they aren't taught well enough and have a solid enough foundation as they get older, the chances of them getting pulled in by the system are, are increased. So teach our kids, don't depend on anyone else to do that. Don't rely on anyone else to teach them that. Um, I think we can also uh, work with our community leaders and elected officials, work with them. Uh, many places in our communities, folks are working uh, intentionally to try to rid our culture of racism. We can work with them. The church, I would hope, would find a way to engage with community leaders and, and elected officials to get, uh, to get this work done. Uh, laws that are passed, uh, legislation that is adopted, if, if we don't pay attention to those, they so easily uh, get infected with the racism that's in the system. So working with our legislators and the, uh, the folks who create the laws and enforce those laws, really important that we work with them to help them understand that we, we don't want our, our laws to be racist or discriminatory, working with those folks. And finally, a thing, uh, the, the, the one thing that, at least if you're 18, all of us can do is vote. Uh, vote. Vote for, vote for people who will support efforts to eradicate racism from, from our political culture, from our legal system, from our criminal justice system, from our economic system. Vote for people who will be against racism. Um, I don't know how to say that other than just to say it that way. Vote for people who are against it. So those are some things I think we can do. I, uh, I can't snap my finger and the whole problem will go away, but I can do some of those things and maybe it'll help. I, I think one of the things that's been on my heart and part of why I wanted to do this today, for all of you that are watching, is this is all of our problem. Maybe we've sat on the sidelines and maybe we've said no. My skin is not dark, so it isn't my problem. But that's not true. It is all our problem. We are all God's children, and God calls us to stand with our brother and our sister. God didn't pick a color, and God didn't pick a gender. God said, all my children. That's every one of them. The short ones with purple hair, the older ones with gray hair. God called us to love all. I thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Can I say one last thing? Absolutely, because I, I was going to have you close. I want to come over there and stand with you, but we're trying to do this social distancing thing here. <laughs> well, uh, does, does, you remember the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? I do. You remember uh, when the disciples looked at them and they said to Jesus, 
you know, these people look pretty hungry. Mm -hmm. And the disciples' solution for for their hunger was to say to Jesus, uh, you should send them away so they can get something to eat. And you remember how Jesus responded to that? <laughs> you don't remember. Let me just tell you. Okay, tell Je me. Jesus said to them, to his disciples, he said, you give them something to eat. Mm. You give them something to eat. When, when I heard this, this passage this week, I heard God saying to me, to Clifton, not to anybody else, to Clifton Howard, with regard to the problem of racism in the United States, saying to me, Clifton, you do something about it. You, you're my follower, you're my disciple, you do something. Whatever you can, you do something about it. And I think that's what God might be saying to all of us. And I hope, I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to try to do everything I can against it. Uh, and I hope that others will, will join me. Well, I stand with you. I stand with you. Whatever I can do as this crazy white child, as you would say, I stand with you in whatever I can do. I know that my church stands with you in whatever we can do. I know that my boss stands with us in whatever we can do. Because it is our problem. Yeah. It is our problem. And I appreciate you reminding me today that just because I don't know what to do doesn't mean I shouldn't do something. That I shouldn't do something. Yeah. Would you say a prayer for us? Sure. Lord, we thank you for all the ways that you come to us. Uh, we confess to you our sin of indifference and apathy. We confess to you that we get fearful when issues like this arise and we would rather it just go away. I confess that to you. Yet you call us to be like Christ in this world here and now. So help us. Help us to do what Christ would do whenever we encounter racism. Help us to be a strong witness for him. Give us the power of your spirit so that we might do what we can to change this world, to make this world better. Help us, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.